broken world, I I hope that by the end of the service that you will see the hope that can be found in Christ. As in regards to the disaster relief video, obviously that came from 2015 and it was for the Colorado Missions offering that we normally have in, in September. But it was such a great encapsulation of what I think is one of the best things the Southern Baptists do. Is that, and that's of disaster relief, not just here in our state, but all over. You see those yellow hats everywhere. In fact, in Katrina, not only did you see, uh, when Hurricane Katrina came along in 2005, not only did you see the Red Cross be everywhere, but you saw those little yellow construction hats, and that was our Southern Baptists down there, um, providing such wonderful, wonderful help. Oh, and by the way, one more thing. Isn't it wonderful having Diane back? Right? Right? She uh, <laughs> she sent something. Um, I think it was was it yesterday or the day before. Um, it feels good to feel good. Yeah, that's a quote, by the way. I couldn't have come up with something that clever, but that was. But it, it does. I know. I know a lot of you are here this morning, and you've you you've had a week. You've had a week about you, and you've got some weeks that are coming up that are going to be challenges for you. And honestly, I think that in God's providence, Psalm thirty-one might be exactly what you need to hear. Um, this is a 24-verse psalm, and I want to make sure that we're, um, we're, we're taking plenty of time to, to hear this. I want you, I want us to stand, I just want to look at verses 19 to 24 as far as reading it. We're going to cover the whole psalm, but let's uh, stand and begin in verse 19 and go to verse 24. And see the goodness of our God. Verse 19, oh, how abundant is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. And in the sight of the children of mankind, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has, he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So again, this is our... um, well, this is our fourth trek into the summer in the Psalms. So we're going to be looking over the summer in, in Psalms 31 to 40, which is really good for us, I believe, because it's a way for us to spend some time giving voice to the issues that may be going on in our lives. We may have, uh, we, we may have reasons and many reasons to be thankful, and there are Psalms that will be able to give um, voice to that. We may have a lot of other things that are going on. We may just want to just straight praise the Lord for all that He is, and there are psalms that are there for that. In fact, the psalms are broken down in various types. There's thanksgiving psalms for thanking God for His gracious acts. There's enthronement psalms. These are psalms that describe God's sovereign rule over all things. There's pilgrimage psalms, specifically uh, the Song of Ascent, Psalm 120 to 134, which we'll be getting to however many years from now, about nine years from now, we'll be getting to those. But those are where they are making a pilgrimage to celebrate and observe the feasts 
of the Lord. There's royal psalms, which not only are psalms that are toward the earthly king that's on the throne at that time, but also the heavenly king who's always on the throne and who will never abdicate. There's wisdom psalms. There's imprecatory psalms, which are asking for God's judgment immediately upon his enemies. But the one, psalm, the one type of psalm that is represented more often, and this may surprise you, are psalms of laments. Now what is a lament? Well, a lament are basically prayers for God's deliverance in moments of despair. Now we're not really, as far as the American evangelical church, we're not really a lamenting type of group. Laments, well those sound sad and those sound down. And those um, kind of in the valley, and we don't want to do that. When I was a, a music minister, which dates myself, because who calls the music ministers anymore? They're usually worship leaders now. And when I would play the piano, um, every so often the pastor would come up to me, and he would be like, you know, play something peppy, right? Which would never be in a minor key, and it would never be slow. It would always be something that was moving forward, because that was the goal. Is the, the goal was to get everybody up. But the thing is, that's not always going to be the case. You're not going to be up all the time. You may go through sickness and health issues. You may go through the death of a loved one. Um, I mean, some of you, you're going through uh, hard times. I've, I've t- I talked to three of you this morning. If you're going through hard times with your pets. Now, that's a hard thing too. Okay, I don't ever want to discount that, especially g- given our history with our dog this year. Um, some of you are having relational issues. Some of you may be having emotional, spiritual, you know, mental issues that you are struggling with. And the way that we can tell that people don't really want to go and give voice in the valley or even admit they're in the valley is, again, we've, how many times have we done this? When you ask somebody how they are. So how are you? And what's the word? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and you know, and you, it's usually after a certain amount of time, then it starts to come out. What is really going on? So some of these things, they take time. And if we're, if we're in too much in a, in a hurry, then we're not going to spend time with that someone who needs time to be able to see that voice that is needed. And these Psalms, we've got to have permission to realize that if we are in despair, then we need to lean into the despair. If we are going through struggles that we need to bring to God and maybe even bring to each other, not there's no maybe about it, bring to other trusted people the struggles that we are going through. Because what happens, I know for me, there was a time that whenever I ended up feeling bad about something that I was going through, I would get in the car and I would turn up the music just a little louder to drown it out. Jim Gaffigan, uh, one time, he's a, he's a comedian, and I don't endorse every single uh, sentence that the man says, but he's a comedian, and he was talking about one time where he had to have a procedure where he wasn't able to eat for a while, and that's kind of his shtick, you know, he likes to eat, and he, he said he wasn't able to eat for a while, and he said this line, and I thought it was very telling, he's like, what am I supposed to do, just feel my feelings? So sometimes we may eat to mask the feeling. Sometimes we may go on and do recreational stuff to, to, to not lean into the hard and lean into the hurt. I think that's a mistake. I think it's a mistake because it's not letting us really be provided that avenue of growth. But it's also, I think, a falsehood. And there's whole ministries that are geared around that. It's not, it's, it's not good for you to go through hard things. It's not good for you to go through bad things. It's not good for you to go through tough things. 
the Psalms seem to say, yes, there is something that comes from the hard and the difficult and the, 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 the difficult, the despair, the grief, the sorrow that we need to go through. And it is there that God, I believe, will meet us, even though I walk through the valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, right? I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You're with, he's with us even in the midst of this. Let's go through this psalm and see what God has for us. And the first thing that we need to see, and I think you're going to see the word, the word that I'm seeing here and the word that's popping up here, it's not used in this psalm, but I'm, I'm sensing it is the word urgency. And the first thing is that there must be an urgency to hear from God. We need to have an urgency to hear from God. Look at verses 1 to 5. And to the choir master, a psalm of David, it's a reminder that these were sung. And I think that's why music is so important because these truths are riding along on these melodies and the, the easier the melody is to remember, the better. And then you're able to remember even the truths that are being sung. When we were talking, we were doing the dealing with dementia seminar. I think that was one thing that came out as kind of an aside is that that's one of the last things, even if you're going through the Alzheimer's and dementia, you may forget a lot of things. The, 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 the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs are the ones that tend to linger the longest. How wonderful is that? That's why we keep singing. And that's why we keep singing the good stuff. Oh, oh yeah, the Bible. Let's get to that. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For you, for your name's sake, you lead and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. And into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Love that. And so the, the refuge, the trust, and you see some of these aspects of God that he is our refuge, that he is righteous, that in his righteousness, thankfully his righteousness, because if it was dependent upon my righteousness, I would never be delivered. I am a sinner. I am a sinner who was born that way. I am a sinner that is in need of grace, and his righteousness is that grace that brings us along. But, he, but look at what's being said here. The, what's being said here is in the middle of David's circumstances that change so much, he's going after the one where it says in Malachi 2, I, the Lord, do not change. That's where we were talking about the hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And even as our circumstances change, even as ourselves may change and our feelings may change from moment to moment, but he is saying, incline your ear to me. Now, when I think of incline, I think of, you know, you're hiking or you're on a treadmill and you raise the, the incline. It gives you a little more resistance, is able to help. But, but please don't misunderstand what this means. To incline, it's, it, it basically the definition is to feel, a, a willing or or to feel willing or favorably disposed toward an action, belief, or an attitude. And, and we are his people. Amen. Hang with me, everybody. We are his people, and he is our God. And so when we call to him in that valley, he will be predisposed to incline his ear to hear us and to act. He will do that. In youth, we were talking this morning about poor Abraham and Sarah, who had to wait 25 years for a promise to be fulfilled. 
Now, God was always working and moving to set the pieces in place for that promise to be fulfilled. But when you're in the middle of the waiting, 25 years, now 25 years now is 25 years then. 25 years, you know, and we get upset if someone doesn't return a text immediately, right? And so 25 years, they're waiting for this promise, but God was always moving and working. And notice the shift in tone here. We can't cover every single thing that's in this passage, but notice the shift in tone. You know, not that God is a rock and a refuge and a fortress, but it changes in verse three. Do you see it? Does it say for you are a fortress or does it even say you are the rock and the fortress? That's not what my Bible says. Is that what your Bible says? My rock and my fortress. And it's not depending on the situation or the circumstances. And because of that, we can commit ourselves to him. Jesus in Luke 23, 46, appropriated verse 5. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. I commit my all to you. We are the ones who have been redeemed. God used Jesus to redeem us. God used Jesus to show that all the promises that God made about Jesus are faithful and true. And when we, under, when we recognize that the justifying work of God to rescue us, not by, based on our righteousness, but his righteousness, by the fact that he doesn't change and he's our fortress, our tower, our rock, our refuge, we, in the midst of whatever we're going through, can count on that even as the wind and the waves hit the side of who we are to try to get us off course. There must be an urgency for God to hear from God, to beg God to listen and to answer. Secondly, there is an urgency of joy in his steadfast love. Look at verses 6 to 8. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idol, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction and have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy and you have set my feet in a broad place. You may be surprised to hear that God allowed David to be recorded here to say that he's hating someone. But this is a reflection of the zeal that they had for the Lord. And and, and how, how could those want to serve other idols. Now, back then, when we think about an idol, we think of you take a piece of wood and you have fashion eyes and nose and mouth and we'll set it up and prop it up and that's our idol. It's an idol that you've made. We do the same thing now, but more it's more ideas and worldviews now. We prop up these worldviews and ideas that try to make sense of the world and yet here we are leaving God out of it or thinking God is regressing us rather than progressing us. But, you know, we, we can understand it. I was, I, one of my children, I was talking with them at the, uh, at the kitchen table. And every so often our kids are bombarded with scientists who know scientific things about scientific things. And, and here we are. And, you know, of course the Bible couldn't be right about this because science is proven and this and that and all. And they try to do this. And I, and you could just kind of see, because I remember those days too, is that you feel that, well, does that mean that my Bible is not you know, because science is shown or whatever, when really we're all looking at all of the same material with different biases, right? We, we are. But, you know, there comes a time when the penny drops and you just want to say, how dare you? How dare you come to me to try to tell me something that's going to make me undermine the steadfast love of God? 
How dare you come to me and, and tell me that my Savior is not who he is and his created work is not what it is? And, not, but, but, and so you get to a point where you're like, I hate those ideas. I hate it that anything would ever come my way when Christ has proven himself so much. He's alive. Case closed. And so when someone else says something to me, oh, he's not all that he says he is, and the created world is not all of it because we know it better right now. No, it's going to change in 10 years. Everything in the, in the academic community, it'll change in 10 years, in 10 years, in 10 years, in 10 years. I, the Lord, do not change. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus says. And, 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 you know, science can't see my affliction. Science can't know the distress of my soul. All it can do is observe what's going on. And science can't deliver me and set me in the broad places because when those idols are there and the culture's there, it constricts us. But God sets us free. And we're in wide open spaces. I'm one of those weirdos that loves driving through Kansas. I love driving through Kansas. Are you a weirdo too? Well, we'll, we'll just start a support group then. Because I know some of you don't. In fact, some of you warned me the first time that I came out here. Now, that was a lot of, that's a, you know, Red Skelton used to say is miles and miles of nothing but miles and miles, right? That's how, that's how West Texas, he said, felt. That's how Kansas is. But I love the wide open. I'm driving in Western Carolina. Those trees are right up against the highway. Oh, look at those trees. Yeah, they all look the same. What's on the other side? I'm going to see stuff, right? And that's what God is doing here. There's no constriction. He sets us in wide places to where he will put us in a place where we can see everything that's going on and, and, and have joy. But we, the third one is that we need, to, we need an urgency to lean into the hard, into the difficult. And here is the lament portion of this psalm, verses 9 to 13. I'll just tell you right up front, 9 and 10 are dealing with the internal issues that David is going through, and then verses 11 to 13 are the external issues. Read it that way, it'll help you understand it a little bit better. Be gracious to me, verse 9, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my body, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me, those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead and I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. This is a serious lament that's going on. And, and it could have been that David was running from Saul when Saul's anointing was taken off from him. You can read that in First Samuel, where Saul's anointing was taken off of him, was going to be put on to David. And during that transition where Saul was still king, but David was going to be king, and there was this transition where Saul was going after David trying to kill him. It didn't work, didn't happen. But here in the midst of all of that, David, it's just like this. We may know God's going to deliver us, but in the meantime, we're, we're struggling. But look at distress and grief and sorrow and sighing. Can you relate to this? And sometimes the grief and the distress and the sorrow and the sighing, it goes from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Because it really what it's saying here is my eye is wasted from grief, but it can also be translated my throat and my belly as well. That's all of us. And you know how it feels when something's going on in your belly? When, some, when you're having a hard time with something, it's like something's working in there. 
That's, that's the idea. We feel that. We get that. We know it. And a lot of it, and I, I say a lot of it, I don't know what the ratio of it was, but some of it at least had to do with, and it says in verse 10, his iniquity. And iniquity is a premeditated choice that if you end up letting it go, it will so dig in that it will capture you from here to eternity. And so David was having this going on. So a lot of the issues, some of the issues, whatever the ratio was from the outside and inside, whatever the ratio is, don't know. But we do know that David did have some struggles along the way, did commit some grievous sins that had a ripple effect even until today. And that's why he's saying my bones will waste away, which we'll talk about more next time in Psalm 32. The adversaries are coming in. You see a little bit from Job um, where, where it's talking about that he's an object of dread to my acquaintances and those who see me in the street flee from me. That's a reflection of Job. Um, in uh, verses 12 and 13, I have been forgotten like one who is dead, become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. That's Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who was one who never had one convert, but the kings were always coming after him. And he kept... He kept digging, and he kept plugging for the cause of Christ. He kept going and going and going. Sometimes we would need to see fruit in order to go on, but what, for, what it was for Jeremiah was he struggled. He struggled, but he kept going because he was taking his eye on Christ. Christ was enough for him. That's what we have to see. That's what we have to recognize. So we see that all through Scripture that these are the realities of what we go through as Christians. How do you deal with the hard times or maybe when you're recognizing that there may be sin in your life, private sin or public sin in your life? How do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the sorrow that may come, be coming by living in a culture that has nothing to do with Christ, doesn't want anything to do with Christ, and comes after you for the cause of Christ? They think because of you following the cause of Christ. How do you deal with that? Well, it brings sorrow and despair. It brings anguish. It brings grief. It brings a sighing every time we turn on the news. You know, we're in the middle of Pride Month, and we're in the middle of Pride Month where there is this significant sin of all types that are being separated. And all of these companies now with their logos, it's not a Pride Day or week, it's a month, and all of these logos now are being changed to represent the colors of this particular community. And while we love them, the people that are dealing with this and making a choice to be in this, even though, as they say, that it's not a choice, we don't represent and we don't lean into the design that God is there. So we love them enough to say, no, this is not it. Lust is not love. And we are about humility before God rather than pride before God. Because when, when, we're, when we're about pride, we're saying, this is who I am. Humility says, Lord, what would you have me to be? And we have to just realize that this, is, that this makes us sigh. This makes us sorrowful that the culture is going in this way. So we lean into the difficulties. But there's also another aspect as we get into verses uh, 14 to 18. That there is an urgency. There has to be an urgency and intentionality for you that, his life, that your life is in his hands. Did you know that? You may not seem that way. Look at verse 14. But it's a great word, by the way. That is a, it's, all, it's a conjunction that is a transition. It's different from and, which means it's the same. The word but, B-U-T, that word means that there's a switch. 
But I trust in you, O Lord, and I say you are my God. Not my circumstances are my God, you are my God. Not my feelings are my God, which we're having that all over in our culture. My feelings aren't my God. I'm not going to bow down to my feelings. My feelings change. You don't. You. You, yes, you are my God. And that's an intentionality that we have in trusting him. My times are in your hands. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir came out with a song like that. We sung it here a number of times. And um, some of you are probably wanting to sing it right now. at some point, but my times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face to shine on your servant. Let me land here for a bit. This is the blessing of Aaron. In Numbers 24 to 26, where it talks about the Lord bless you and keep you. Does that sound familiar? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And how's it go? And give you peace. My kids know this one. When they were little, I used to say that over them every single night. And um, it's something we, we still need to have sung over us, don't we? But the idea behind that is God's face being on us, his protection, his favor. God has not turned away his face from his people. Uh, but when there was significant disobedience, like in the book of Judges, where they were constantly chasing after other gods, God would turn his face away. The enemies would come in, overtake. Then they would repent, call, repent, and then God would turn his face toward them. And one day, 2,000 years ago, God turned his face away from his son. Now, was his, did it, was his son disobedient? No, but his son was taking the sin of us who were And he turned his face away for three hours. The only time in all of eternity that they have ever been apart in fellowship like that. But it was for us. But when he paid that price and rose from the dead, his face turned and shined upon us. Not because of what we've done. It's in spite of it. But it's because of what Christ did. The fulfillment of that blessing of Aaron. And when we're reminded of the passage I read to you earlier. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, nor, nor powers, nor, nor height nor depth, or anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You, you, we have to know that, and we, that's why we have to read our Bibles and hear the word of God preached, because we've got to hold on to these promises when the inevitable valley will come. It's coming. I was talking to a couple of you this week, and you've had one thing after another, after another, after another. And they, and any one of those things was a valley in its own. But it's like a valley, and then a valley, and then a valley, and then a valley. And one of you said, I just need a break. I need it to break. And so... This is why God gives us the promises that he does to carry with us, put them in our pockets, put them in our hearts, put them in our minds. That way, when we are in the valley, we're reminded. And when we walk into the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for he's with me. Nothing in all of creation will separate me from the love of God in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because you're with me. You know, you, you remember this, the, the promise over and over of he's with us, he's with us, he's with us. That's what this psalm is saying in the midst of the laments. He's with us. And so, as, as we get to this last portion here, in verses 19 to 24, we've not only got to rejoice in the valley, when we're out of the valley, but we've also got to make sure that we're reminding each other. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you, you were during COVID tempted to not come to church anymore. You were tempted to not come to church anymore. And there were lots of reasons, whether there's disagreements on certain things and how we went about it, or you're just like, it is really nice to be able to get up and not have to put the duds on and be able to go and, and have to do that. I can just have my coffee and do whatever. I... There, there's a temptation, but that temptation has always been there. COVID just kind of exacerbated and, and moved it along a little bit. But as we were talking about in verses 19 to 22 earlier about the abundant goodness of God and how that's been stored up for us and how it's worked in us as a refuge. Verse 20, he hides us. And again, the word here, he stores us in the shelter from the strife of tongues. He shows and he blesses us with his steadfast love. Look at how God is acting. God is not a passive God. God is a God that acts and works and moves among his people. It may not seem like it at the time, but he's working. And whether we'll receive the work that he's doing, that's another story. But that's why we need to be with each other. Um, every so often, when I was leading music, this this is dating me as well, right? You know, now it's now it's microphone. Come on, you know. But before, but before, or something like that. But before it was like, would you turn in your Bible or turn in your hymnals to number three thirty, and we're going to sing the first, second, and last stanza of Amazing Grace? Would you stand as we sing? And then I would, and uh, and then I'd do this number. And there's actually a pattern here to it. But what was, what was interesting was is that every so often there would be people that would just not sing. My dad was one of them. He would not sing. Would not sing. But you know what's interesting is that when you see people around you singing, this is just one example of many. When you see people around you singing, oh, he's singing. Well, maybe I'll sing as well. Well, he doesn't sound very good. I don't sound very good. Oh, if, if he can sing and not sound very good, I'll sing and not sound very good either. And we'll just have a ball. We'll just have an absolute ball. But, you know, you may be encouraging someone to do something to get them out of that, to give expression where all we're thinking about is there was an old comedian who used to talk about style. Style. And he would crush watermelons and talk about style. And that's what we were thinking. It's all about style, how we do things, how it's packaged. No, it's not. There's a substance that here, you may sound terrible. Sing. You may, you may not be able to teach very well at this point. We'll, we'll help you to learn how to teach and we'll get it moving. Why, why am I going into all of this? Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says this, love the Lord, all you, his saints. Now, so David has gone through the issues. God has proved himself faithful, even in the valley. And now he's like, and now I'm going to tell you saints something right now. You love the Lord. You love the Lord, all you, his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Well, it doesn't feel that way. No, it doesn't feel that way. But he's shown me and I want to show you and I'll walk alongside you with it. But, but he abundantly repays for those who act in pride. I don't want the Lord. I don't care about the Lord's love. I'm going to do it my way. No. He repays that. So he's saying, so he's, he's encouraging each other. That's why we need to get together to remind each other. Be strong in the Lord. And be of good courage. It comes from Joshua 1.9 when they were getting ready to go into the promised land. You, be, be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. And it is a waiting game. We're not going to see it all right now. But we're impatient. 
Uh, there, we, our youth, we used to do a youth musical. Again, I'm dating myself. Gosh, so much. But we used to do a youth musical, and there was this, it was a musical that was called Waiters. Waiters, right? And, but the idea was about waiting on the Lord, and one of the songs that was sung right at the very beginning was, I want what I want when I want it, and I want what I want right now. And some of you, you're, you're walking away from the Lord because he's not doing things on your timing. And I know how that feels because I, I think we all battle patience a lot. I want to get back at it. I want to do this. I want to, you know, I want to feel better. I want to be healthy. I want my, this relationship to be fixed. I want this. I want this. I want this. And we don't like to wait. Even before the internet was around, people would press an elevator button. And then they would press it again in 40 seconds, even if that button was lit. They'd press it again. Come on. It takes us eight seconds to wait for a web page to download before we move on. We're impatient. We tell our microwaves to hurry up. We're impatient. The Christian life, we are able to be patient. And the Christian life is about waiting because we know that the one who is making the promise will come through. He will do it. God is good. Think about Gaff, G-A-F. God is good. God is able. God is faithful. Say it with me. God is good, A, able, and God is faithful. Remember that. Remember that. Because as he keeps his promises to us, we recognize that even as that old hymn says, are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We have to remember that. So, are you, what are you dealing with right now that you're not ready to confront because you're thinking you're having to do it in your own strength? Confront it in the strength of the Lord. Be of good courage. He will be with you. Christ has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. Let's go. Let's not be passive in hearing the word, but be active in doing the word. That's living a life in HD, if you want to put it that way. If you hear about HD all the time, hearing and doing, hearing and doing, hearing and doing. Let's go. That's what he's called us to do. do you, did you know that God is for you? And if, if you're not a Christian, and you may have spent all of your life resisting coming to Christ. I don't need that. I got it. I don't need that. I got it. I don't need that. I got it. Well, one day you're going to realize you need it, and you don't got it. And here's Christ coming along saying, I've been here the whole time. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've waited too. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, even in the valley. Come to me. He's promised to be there with us, to give us a voice in the valley and to be with us even in the valley. Father God, help us in all that we do and say to to move forward in what you've called us to do. And Father, all of us, we're either coming out of a valley or in a valley or going into one because that's just the nature of our broken world. Help us, Lord, not to look to ourselves for deliverance, but to look to you for deliverance. Help us, Lord, not to look to our righteousness to try to be gooder and better, but Lord, help us to look to you who is the good, the faithful, the true, the good, the able, and the faithful. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never trusted in Christ, um, Father, I pray that you would bring them into the game, bring them into your kingdom, bring them into the camp, 
and show them the goodness and glory and the ability and the faithfulness of God in all things. Thank you for helping us to realize the joy every time we hear about the empty tomb because we know that the one thing, the many, uh, many things we can't conquer, but the ultimate unconquerable was death, and Christ conquered that on our behalf. May we follow you in all that we do and say. Use us for your honor and use us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I don't have my bulletin with me, and I don't have a good memory. So what, uh, what, what song are we singing? Trust and obey. Okay, we may know this song. It's number 447 in your hymnals. The words will also be up on the screen.